and you found us again. Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection of Faith and Reason. I'm Doug Keck. I'm kind of like the gatekeeper here. Always great to welcome you into Father Spitzer's Universe where your questions are so important to us. Spitzer's Universe at EW10.com. Just email those to us. We do use virtually every question that comes into us. And check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, MagicCenter.com, PurposefulUniverse.com, and SpitzerCenter.org. Talk about covering the universe. Those three do it. Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on our EW10 YouTube channel, EW10 On Demand page. I hope you've been on it. Uh, new to our On Demand page is the Trinity Dome, the crowning jewel of Mary's Shrine. This program explores the background and incredible beauty of the Trinity Dome mosaic at the Basilica of the National Shrine of Immaculate Conception in D.C. And again, always wonderful, and it's free, and you can see it anytime on demand on your phone, on your iPad, on your television, streaming, web, every place you want to look, and especially on your smart TV. If you've got a smart TV, check out the apps on that smart TV. You'll find EW10's already there. And continuing with Father's book on the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, which is available through the catalog, of course. I'm assuming you already have it and uh, follow along as we go through the book. And speaking of other great books, The Roots of Christian Civilization, First Principles of a Just and Ordered Society by our great friend and host of Open Line, Father Brian Milady, always insightful in his uh, writings as well. And speaking of being insightful, we have our one and only Father Spitzer. Great to see you. Great to see you, Doug. I use the term lightly. There you go. <laughs> Yes. Uh, someday I'll say I'll make it different so I don't put you on the spot. If you can say, uh, say oh, a no, no. prayer to kick us off, that would be great. You bet. <laughs> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, upon Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And this week, actually, uh, I think it's beginning tomorrow, uh, is basically the Napa event, which uh, you're the president of the Napa yeah. Institute. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about right what will be happening out at that event? Well, we have, of course, all kinds of uh, different speakers. Uh, they come from uh, the scholarly life. They come also from business, uh, the business area, of course, politics and uh, culture. And so we uh, have a lot of our uh, regulars who will be there who uh, definitely give, uh, you know, the uh, you know, myself and Tim Gray and um, mm -hmm. um, uh, various others who are, uh, you know, excellent. But we also have some special speakers. Uh, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence uh, will be giving uh, uh, one of the talks. And mm -hmm. uh, again, we have a, a whole host of other events. We've got retreats that are going on out there. We also have a, a series of breakouts and uh, workshops that are, are uh, also wow. very inspiring. But it's meant to, uh, to inspire faith. And uh, my right. good friend Stephen Barr uh, uh, will also be there, the good physicist who will, uh, the brother of um, Bill Barr, will, uh, William Barr there, will be coming 
uh, as well. And uh, so it should be a, a really an excellent uh, Monsignor Shea, uh, you know, a, a real a great uh, speaker as well. So it should be uh, truly, and we're, we're going to have a, an EWTN taping there uh, right. as well. Doug and myself are going to be doing a show from uh, that great uh, ballroom there. So anybody's invited to uh, to come to the ballroom, be part of the audience in the show. Right, and also hopefully a couple of bookmarks while we're there as well. Get that done. Yes, and that's right. People can check that out on web and find out and uh, if they make a last minute reservation to go and be there. And I would just say, I don't know, I'm trying to remember whether Mary Hassan is speaking this year or not, but I know a couple of years ago she was giving a breakout and it was that talk I skipped out of your talk because you were giving a talk I had already heard, yeah. and I went to see hers, yeah. and I was so impressed by it, uh, which was really the genesis of the, of the miniseries we did with her on transgenderism, which yeah. has been very, very popular, but it was based yeah. on uh, w watching her give a talk at that breakout. Oh, no, that's wonderful. No, she is a great speaker, and right. uh, I'm not sure whether she's doing a breakout this year. I don't think she's doing a keynote, though, mm -hmm. uh, that I can uh, uh, recall uh, right now. But uh, she is always great to have, and she's, right. uh, you know, been a part of our board and just truly right. a wonderful, wonderful person. Right, and so, she had uh, a great father, we, too, in, uh, uh -huh. in Professor Rice, uh, Professor yeah. Charles Rice from Notre Dame. That is Dame, correct. Who, who did oh, a I, series he, for us, too, in the past. Yeah, very good friend as well. So, right. a great legal expert, especially uh, jurisprudence and natural right. law jurisprudence. Truly a remarkable man. Right, and standing up for the Catholic faith regardless of uh, the consequences he did. Also, uh, we've got uh, here. I wanted to follow up. I think I, I think I alluded to last week uh, about divorce parties. Uh, and here's an article that talks about divorce <laughs> parties are the new hot invite. Uh, the person said it sort of ended up like a really fun funeral. Uh, that was the comment that the person made in his, this particular article. Um, and this, uh, I think this is a divorce lawyer who says, divorce used to be something to be ashamed of due to societal pressures and stereotypes, says Nicole Sodoma, a uh, divorce lawyer who wrote the book, Please Don't Say You're Sorry. Now that's wonderful, uh, about the topic. But today people have really decided to nip that societal shame and instead embrace being divorced as another stage of life that some of us experience. Sometimes you can go to Amazon and Etsy and you can get these kind of what they call Splitsville swag. You can get shirts or sash that says end of an error or thank you next or I do, I did, I'm done t-shirts. So now we've decided we can't get rid of divorces so we're going to celebrate them. Well, I think uh, it's truly a, a travesty and the reason First of all, as I've said many times in this program, children are the victims of that divorce. I mean, to celebrate it in front of your kids is nuts. I mean, to begin with, if you get a divorce, you know, and, and your children, who are obviously going to be in deep anxiety about this divorce, not just in terms of the future of their lives, but really deep anxiety about that marital bond, about the celebration of lovability within the family, about their own personal security, et cetera, that we've talked about before. All of these things are up for grabs. To celebrate that in front of your children, or for them to even get wind of this, would be insanity. And don't say it won't make any difference because they're only four or five years old. I'm telling you, the very fact of it would be just 
insane what you would do to those kids. I, I think uh, it, that alone sh uh, would be a reason to just stop right. it right in its tracks. The second thing is you might say, oh, we don't have any kids. Uh, he, do you think that by covering it up and making a big party out of it, do you, do you really think that this is going to help the anxiety levels on the part of the other spouse? Do you think that this is really going to help um, you know, you in, in your future uh, to say you had a superficial party that celebrated it. Yeah, you can always, uh, you know, make a party. You can put the old, uh, you know, happy face, uh, you know, on the, on the divorce and everything. But it, as a matter of fact, it's not going to cover, cover over the, the hurt. It's not going to cover over the anxiety levels. And to just simply try to reduce the marriage to nothing, that's not going to make you any happier, uh, by the way. Uh, if you invested yourself in that marriage, mm -hmm. and now by celebrating it as kind of a fun old option that didn't work out so well, do right. you think that that's going to do anything for your psyche? Do you think that that's going to make any sense uh, for you to take all that investment and all that love and turn it into a big zero? Right. Do you think that is emotionally healthy? Skip the spiritual part, skip the relational part, skip the kids part. How do you think that really affects you? Because I'm telling you, the minute you reduce your love to zero, the minute you reduce your investment to zero, the minute you re uh, reduce your commitment to zero, you are basically calling yourself a zero. Mm -hmm. You know, so have fun, celebrate away, zero. I mean, you know, this is crazy. It's the whole thing. Uh, you know, I, I mean, people can't even see uh, the destructiveness to the interior psyche that comes from, you know, doing silly childish things like, you know, having a divorce party and making it a big ha-ha spin-off. I, I think what we need to do is really come to some, you know, <laughs> emotional maturity here in right. this society. Well, that's but like maturity, Nicole doesn't isn't it? have a really good idea. We have this infantile yeah. approach to yeah. adulthood these days with these people who don't yeah. want to grow up. It's yeah. like the Peter Pan effect they yep. used to call it in the yep. old days, right? Yeah. Yeah, so much so, yeah. I mean, it's very clear. I just think it's an, an insane idea. And like I said, boy, if you have kids, don't think they won't find out. Right. And don't think that this will help them. Right. It won't. Right, and certainly I know with a divorce rate, if you're divorced once and get remarried, the more likelihood you're gonna get divorced again is much higher. And I'm yeah. assuming that's probably yeah. the same thing with even long-term relationships like that, that uh, even if you don't get married, oh, yeah. that those uh, become uh, much more, uh, you know, uh, one after the other kind of things with no long-term connectedness. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's just like, well, what, what, what good is there in this? I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, again, it just leaves me utterly cold it's because I just know I the destructiveness that will come in its way. Right. I think the, uh, people yeah. are either watch television or on the web. They think there's some party going on that they're all missing out on uh, that where everybody's happy yeah. and enjoying themselves all the time. And because their life isn't perfect, there must be something wrong. Mm-hmm. I guess. I yeah, know. no, there's, I guess, I don't know. I mean, uh, we all have to deal with those times when our relationships are challenged. Absolutely. We all have to deal with those times when we really have to be patient. I remember several of my friends saying, I think what's kept me married so long and, and so deeply is 
well, what I didn't say. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be times when we shouldn't say right. things that right. they're just bursting at the seams to say. Uh, but emotional maturity just says, hey, right. I, I don't need to say this. I'm not going to say this. It's going to be destructive. Right. You know, so I won't say this. And so, uh, you know, we, we're just losing right. that sense of, of you know, emotional maturity, respect for the other, uh, significant you know, appreciation and empathy with the goodness, unique goodness and lovability of the other, we're losing it. I, I mean, right. and, uh, and you know, that gets us through the challenges and our religion gets us through Absolutely. the challenges right. and prayer and grace right. get us through the challenges and following the virtues of Christ's definition of love gets us through the challenges. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just don't, uh, I don't get it. I, I think something like this right. so trivializes marriage, so trivializes your right. own love, so trivializes your children's psyche. I don't get it. I mean, I mean, what a dope. I shouldn't say that on television. <laughs> no, no, I understand. I just, well, it's interesting I, what you said reminding me of, of, of a marriage encounter talk which talked about the time when you'd have to write as a presenter, you know, what was the time that yeah. you acted loving to your spouse even though you didn't feel loving toward them? You know, that ability to say, okay, yeah. I, I may not feel that way, but this is still the person I love, yeah. and I have to do the right thing. Yeah. And I think the idea of moving beyond, I'm sorry to please forgive me, is another big part of yeah. the equation, you know? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And these are the, 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 uh, the kinds of things that very responsible people do. Right. And, you know, the idea of not confusing feelings with states of being is mm -hmm. really incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I think as every mature individual knows, you know, sometimes when you're really in love with somebody, you don't feel great about them all right. the time. Right. So what? Your feelings do not have to mirror the loving state that you actually live and have with another human being. Mm -hmm. There can be all kinds of disruptions, all kinds of bad days, all kinds of stupidities which we say that need to be overcome and have to be, you know, uh, forgiven mm -hmm. uh, in, in the state of things. But at the end of the day, it's the love that we really do have, the desire. Mm -hmm. You look, you see that goodness and that lovability in the person that you married. You just, you, you so are bonded with them, you know, deep down that bond is so very much there. And the religion, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially the, the Catholic faith that tries to help you remain together right. and be together and stay together, not just for the sake of the children, mm -hmm. but for the sake of the relationship and the right. familial bond itself. That, you know, is, you put it all together and love is one deep, complex, fantastic, empathetic, deeply grounded, emotionally, uh, you know, grounded. It's for the emotionally mature, there's no doubt about that. It's for the spiritually uh, mm -hmm. mature, for those who want to take, you know, their spiritual life uh, into their marriage, and they should. I, I tell you, uh, you know, that you put these things together, that love is precious to right. behold, and it'll get you through a lot of really tough times. Absolutely. And, you know, even through insults and even through stupidities and everything else. So, uh, you know, forgiveness bears a lot uh, and is so important, 70 times, right. seven times. But right. you put it all together and, oh, marital love. There, that, that, what was that Steve Martin movie? Uh, Parenthood or something. Parenthood, yeah, right. <laughs> the very end scene, yeah. You know, the, the, 
the whole, you know, uh, uh, tr uh, it's on a roller coaster, you know, and, and, and the whole right. scene is tilting as the roller coaster Absolutely. goes up and down. But at the end, they're embracing each other and they're right. very much in love with they each other. They used to call it, uh, uh, you know, uh, Marriage Encounter in my day used to talk about romance, disillusionment, yeah. and joy. And that's kind of the roller coaster yep. you ride on. It could happen over yeah. a year, in a day, in a week, in an hour. And, and you just have to realize yep. that that's. That if you if you stick to yep. it, you'll get to the other side, and you've got to try as hard as you That's can. That's right. That. Uh, going in another direction, <laughs> here's an article. Uh, it's actually was yeah. from the Federalist, um, and it's it's interesting take. Uh, talks about cultural de uh, degeneration is actually a return to normalcy, uh, and it, it's an interesting understanding what the person is saying here in the article. Remember your history in your Bible. Mm -hmm. Idol-worshipping, sin-enslaved child sacrifices were the normal uh, around the uh, Israelites, right? They might have been different, but the cultures around them were into these things. Yeah. Consider, they goes on and said, consider the most successful ancient cultures were so unspeakably degenerate by Christian standards that the 19th century archaeologists who dug them up had to shovel the dirt right back. And this is, it wasn't until the 21st century that the full extent of Pompeii's perpetual pride festivals and festivities were made public. I mean, it's, it's, if you look at some of the, the artwork there, it's really depraved. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, having to do with uh, this kind of idea. Uh, depictions of pedophilia, rape, bestiality were part of daily life, and the art celebrated blurred the boundaries between sexes and species. And it goes on to say many, many martyrs had to die horrible deaths before the world started getting second thoughts about pedophilia. Many more died to make the world with Christian confidence to outlaw and punish child abuse. If family drag brunch, brunch disturbs you, remember there, but for the grace of God go I. He goes on to say, I implore you to realize that in the absence of God, the madness is the norm. You cannot wait and see your way out of it. You can only repent and revive your way out of it. Our godless elites are not leading us to a brave new world of depravity. They're simply taking us back to where we started. And I thought, you know, that whole idea of don't be so quick to push the Christian church out of the way and out of the mainstream. You may not be happy with what you're left with. Oh, yeah. In a previous episode, we were talking about the need to revitalize sexual fidelity as something good rather than something to be liberated from. And um, uh, I think what the author is uh, saying here is right up uh, my line because mm -hmm. he's saying what will happen if you don't start right. revitalizing the goodness of sexual fidelity, you're going to get back to paganism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's face facts that, you know, Roman paganism and Canaanite pa paganism, you know, even though there's a separation in time, um, the Canaanite paganism did, of course, sacrifice uh, children to mm -hmm. Moloch and uh, where the children were actually burned alive and mm -hmm. things of that nature. And, of course, the Israelites came into the Canaanite country in the conquest and they just abhorred it. And they just said, if you do that, uh, you know, you, you will be, <laughs> you know, put to the same burning uh, that you put your children to. So that kind of came to an end, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in any place that was taken over by the Israelites. The Romans did have, though, the sacrifice uh, to Mal um, Malak there, too. 
too, not so much in Rome, uh, but in Carthage and other areas mm. uh, on the outside. But what the Romans did have was this, oh, the bestiality and the pedophilia, oh yes, mm. that was definitely rampant and not just evident in Pompeii, but evident everywhere. And there was almost kind of a worship of, of sexuality, which was out of control. You can only imagine what this did to children uh, who are, of course, the uh, the victims of mm -hmm. not just p pedophilia, but all kinds of, of sexual infidelity getting passed from people to pe from person to person. Uh, the, of course, the sexual abuse that's intrinsic to the wow. uh, act of p pedophilia itself and, and so forth. Oh yeah, that was madness all right, but it was madness that killed mm -hmm. the psyche not only of the children, but of the adults. And no matter what you say, mm -hmm. that stoic Roman culture, it was one big, and I'm gonna use the expression here, hell to live in. Mm -hmm. And it truly, life was so meaningless. The idea of being deeply loved was so utterly eliminated by, you know, the, the truly superficial, superficial stoic culture uh, that was, uh, you know, placed into being. And, you know, when you, Walker Percy actually in a book called, uh, um, I think it was Love in the Ruins, uh, presented it uh, very beautifully mm -hmm. that way. And also in his book, The Second Coming, uh, Will Barrett, right, the pro one of the protagonists, he's um, you know, portrayed as kind of, his father was a real stoic, uh, kills himself, tries to kill Will, because better to be led, uh, dead than the living dead. Mm -hmm. And then you have, on the other hand, uh, you know, the rediscovery of Christianity and Christian value and the love of this uh, woman, Allison, kind of juxtaposed to each other. But the idea is you can see that that Roman culture when, you know, I, I lived in, in, and studied in Rome for three years mm -hmm. and you could just feel it emanating off the, uh, off the, uh, uh, the walls, the murals in Rome. But what's m more interesting still, there was a pro uh, production called I, Claudius, way back oh, yes, when. Yes, yes, And you want to see decadence at the yes, highest peak yeah. level. You know, just suicide One of the best everywhere. best television shows ever made. And, right. One of the best television oh, shows yeah. ever Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it just, like I said, suicide everywhere, right. you know, child abuse everywhere. I mean, just the, the, the real despair of Roman stoicism and Roman culture, you know, the idea that, you know, just for fun an emperor can just tell somebody to fall on his sword, and he'd do it, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, what kind of despair right. leads to a culture of, of just abuse of individuals? Could love ever burgeon good caritas, deep, affectionate, uh, you know, love of an individual burgeon in a culture like that. Sure, there's probably some exceptions to it. You see maternal love for children that will never die away. But boy, Roman culture tried to do everything it could right. to just extinguish that kind of uh, love, that mm -hmm. kind of lovability, that kind of goodness, that individual dignity. And you, you want to return to this? This is what you, I think that right. guy's kind of brilliant, whoever wrote that article, right. uh, you know, and putting it that way because it, it's not a pretty sight. Right. Uh, like I said, watch I, Claudius, and uh, right. you get a nice uh, little view yeah, into the heart of cast. Roman right. stoicism right. prior to Christianity. Yeah. Anyway. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it, what it always reminded me of, and this is one of my poor analogies, but in the movie Gone with the Wind, there's a scene when the, 
when the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the all the Confederate soldiers are getting out of Atlanta, and uh, they're and they're and Rhett Butler and uh, and uh, are trying to get across, and she's yelling, "How come on? Hurry up! Hurry up! Get out of the way! We got to get out of here!" And he and he kind of says to her, says to Scarlett, "Don't be so quick to have them leave. With them leaves the last vestige of order." And in a lot of ways, that's yeah. the same thing we have. Don't be so quick to push the Christian belief system and the Christian piety and those things out of the culture. You may not be very happy with yeah. what you're going to be left with. And we're living with a lot of that where we basically are seeing modern day paganism, right? Oh, yeah, that's the whole point of my book. Mm -hmm. My whole, the whole point of moral wisdom of the Catholic Church is you push that Christian morality mm -hmm. right out the door and along with it you'll have the last vestiges of order right. and not only that you're going to see the biggest steepest increase in depression, anxiety, suicides, suicidal right. contemplation, uh, substance abuse, familial tensions, antisocial aggressivity, etc. Okay. The malaise, the right. emptiness, it's, it's not it's already here. Mm -hmm. uh, all we can do in the future is double it and redouble it. You're right. going to see the redoubling and the redoubling again of youth suicides, of, right. of youth depression, of youth anxiety. It's just out of control, and everybody's ignoring the statistics. Our culture is not healthy. You want to shove them out the door, shove the old Christians out the door, and just lock behind you, and you think you're going to get the ideal society, you are going to create a perfect hell. Right. You are going to create a Rome all over again and I'm telling you there's nothing that it, you will, if you don't stand in the way of it it will come and take you by force mm. because the evil spirit who is stoking those fires and I mean that metaphorically and really mm. stoking those fires is certainly not going to give up but as he seizes the momentum he will increase it until we have reached the point not of the culture of narcissism but the culture of despair mm -hmm. and that is his intention absolutely let's move on quickly in our last we got a, a few minutes here before the break uh, get to one of the questions dear mm -hmm. father spitzer although i'm 100 percent pro-life i recently saw a youtube video with a rather compelling argument for abortion it posed the scenario in which a person was the cause of a car accident. As a result, someone in the other car needs a kidney transplant to survive. Even if the person who caused the car accident is a perfect match, they are not forced to donate their organ for the survival of another. Similarly, an accident occurs and a woman is pregnant. Why would she have to donate her uterus against her wishes for the survival of another? And this is Diane. Interesting. Okay. Well, Diane, uh, that's the old violinist argument mm -hmm. uh, that goes back uh, quite a ways. I think maybe even back to the late 70s, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, there's a very good philosopher by the name of John Finnis who responded to that argument rather compellingly uh, with three different arguments that I'm just going to uh, briefly summarize here. But if you want to, just put into Google John Finnis violinist argument mm -hmm. and um, uh, here's the the basic upshot the child we cannot forget that the child in the womb has um, an, in, an inalienable right to live and he, you know if the child has not done anything right to uh, uh, to deserve 
um, you know, uh, death, so he hasn't caused a, a, a crime to somebody else, etc., which, of course, an innocent human child has done nothing. The innocent human child, mm -hmm. uh, you know, has, you know, he's, he's now conceived, he's in the womb. He hasn't done anything uh, to deserve um, you know, uh, death. Now you call that lending a uterus, mm -hmm. and of course, it's the very same thing of the violinist, you know, un unplugging from the the you know who needs the kidney transplant, etc. Mm -hmm. So this uh, uh, the the idea said Finnis is wait a minute now. You can view this from the vantage point of the. Um, of the woman who's quote unquote lending her uterus or from the vantage point um, of the child. The child has inalienable rights. They are distinct from the rights of the mother. And so we that always you have to try and make a rights uh, you know, in a rights conflict, mm -hmm. you have to prioritize uh, which rights are the superior rights. Uh, is the liberty rights of the uh, are the liberty rights of the mother superior to the life right of the fetus? And and uh, the and the answer to the question is simply no. It's the reverse. The life rights of the fetus have to be superior to the uh, um, the. Uh, rights of the mother, which is a mere liberty right. And here's how the argument works. It goes all the way back to the time of Francisco Suarez, Hugo Grotius, John Locke, and Thomas Jefferson. And in fact, the whole you know, Charter of Human Rights in the United Nations Declaration on Human Rights, that whole thing is based on one thing, that the, uh, the right which is necessary for the very possibility of another right is the higher right. You can't, so the right to life is necessary for the very possibility of the right to liberty. So if, if, if what are we talking about here? I mean, if you're dead, your liberty rights are a complete moot question. So we don't even have to think about them. And that's the same thing that was said in the Dred Scott decision. Mm -hmm. In the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court said that the property rights of white people were superior to the liberty rights of black people. Now, of course, the liberty rights of anybody have to be superior to the property rights of, of another group of people. Why is that? Because I can say, oh, Doug, you can own all the property you want, but I get to own you. Well, de facto, I own, in owning Doug, I own Doug's property. So, of course, property rights are dependent on the very possibility, for their very possibility, on liberty rights. It's got to be, liberty rights has to be higher. Supreme right. Court had no right to say that the property rights rights of white people exceed the liberty rights of, of black people. And no, and the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade, and now reversed by Dobbs, uh, you know, and Dobbs correctly reversed it because they had placed a um, the liberty rights of, of, of the mother over the life rights of the fetus. And now that the life right of the fetus can be absolutely established, not just established by, you know, 96% uh, of the international biologists who declared, yes, fertilization is the point at which a new, unique, right. substantially whole human being exists. Right. That's the, the point, indisputably. And on the, the genome is complete. On that the point, human zygote is complete. We're going to have to take a break. And I wouldn't <laughs> want very many of my properties. I usually just end up with Baltic and, uh, you know, so... Uh, I don't think you want my properties, Father, so uh, Baltic and Mediterranean. Yeah, no. Much more ahead with Father Spitzer as he continues on right after this.
we do appreciate you staying with us as we delve deeper into Father Spitzer's universe. Don't forget, EWTN's family celebration is coming up within the next month, August 26th, from Birmingham, in Birmingham, including special live show with Father Mitch and Johnette Williams and your other favorite EWTN hosts will be authors, meet and greet, family-friendly activities. Brother Leo will be there. Come early, visit the shrine in Hansville or tour EWTN studios, more information, and to register. EWTN.com forward slash family celebration. Of course, you register. It doesn't cost you anything, but at least gives us an idea of how many people might be coming. Also, next year, looking ahead, the Eucharistic revival is happening. EWTN.com is one of the major sponsors. And if you go to EWTN.com forward slash Eucharist, you can register through EWTN, get a discount, and it'd be great if you can register through us because it demonstrates the power of Mother Angelica's network in reaching out to Catholics, especially if you want to honor Mother Angelica, who was a champion of the Eucharist. It's a great way to do it. So I'm Doug Keck, back with Father Spitzer out on the West Coast. Let's get to our next question. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, now I've heard you discuss how God ensouled Adam and Eve in the distant past, and at some point a spiritual decision acted upon Adam and Eve and caused severe widespread physical damage to the world we live in. Because of that death, disease and natural disasters entered our realm of existence. Is this correct conclusion or have I missed something? It illustrates to me that there is an actual connection between the natural and supernatural dimensions. This is Dave. Well, Dave, no, I, I don't think you have it quite correct. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of death coming into the world uh, is very complex, and uh, let me just explain it in a moment. But first, with respect to death being in the world, uh, life on our planet um, goes back uh, 3.9 to 4 billion years ago. So uh, the planet Earth is 4.6 billion years old and somewhere around 0.6 to 0.7 billion years uh, after um, our planet was formed, uh, life, uh, uh, you know, came into being. Now, the very fact that that occurred so early on in the Earth's history, I, I consider to be almost a divine intervention, mm -hmm. but that's my, uh, as it were, leap to faith. But I truly do believe that. Um, uh, I, I just don't see how it could have formed uh, with the complexities of proteins and things that would be necessary. Uh, e even in a virus, I, I just, you know, kind of life, I don't, I don't see it as uh, possible. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just, you know, even the, the conditions were not right until about 0.1 billion years, um, you know, uh, uh, before life actually came into being. So in any case, uh, that's when death came into the world because we have all kinds of fossils of, of things that died, plant life, well, bacterial life, mm -hmm. plant life, all kinds of things that uh, have died. Um, and uh, so we know that death goes back at uh, pretty much about 3.9 billion years. Mm -hmm. So what happened, you know, 60,000 years ago when human beings got ensouled and they committed uh, original sin, uh, that is to say they decided that, um, you know, they wanted something more than their original unity and relationship with God. So when God ensouls the first human beings, he ensouls them with this uh, deep awareness of who he is. Mm -hmm. And somehow that first uh, human being or the first couple themselves somehow 
uh, they decide that uh, there's something preferable. Now, of course, it's portrayed as a tree in the garden, but remember that, uh, the, you know, according to the, the Pontifical Biblical Commission, right, this is a, a metaphorical explanation of original sin. Mm -hmm. So the idea that this is an apple in the garden or a, a fruit from the, uh, the tree of, uh, of life and so forth, that, that this is not um, uh, necessarily of good and evil, this is not necessarily uh, right, it's a metaphor, it's not mm -hmm. to be taken literally, but something was put before them. Mm -hmm. And it's portrayed as a serpent, uh, a symbol of evil, is putting something before them, uh, basically saying, you know, you don't have enough. Uh, you need to be like a god. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, this relationship you have with the god you have, let me tell you, you could do it all yourself. You are just, you are. And you can see in this, uh, you know, this uh, this uh, human being, this very early human being, or this uh, couple uh, mm -hmm. that isn't sold, uh, all of a sudden this rebellious thing, I want to take what's mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can see very definitely that that happened. So what does it mean to say then that death came into the world? Well, f truly it is not physical death, mm -hmm. but it is the awareness first and foremost. It is the awareness, um, you know, that uh, something terrible uh, has happened and that death is impending. Secondly, it is an awareness of a spiritual death, of a darkness, that there is a loss of something uh, quite spiritual in the world. The Catechism uh, defines this very specifically. So there's a kind of a spiritual death that occurs. There's also accompanying it a self-awareness that I am going to die, what Martin Heidegger called being toward death. Mm -hmm. So there's the idea too that you know uh, uh, there's a uh, you know a reckoning uh, you know in, in all of this which causes a deep anxiety uh, and a depression as well as what we call uh, a kind of concupiscence that spiritual death that actually occurred um, that separation from God that clouding of the vision the relationship between God and human beings gets passed on to all subsequent uh, generations mm -hmm. and that obscuring that clouding of the vision of the relationship causes us to be morally weak it's a really truly a kind of a, a moral death kind of occurs as well so it's a death on mm -hmm. all kinds of levels but it's not uh, a per se a just a physical death right. it's spiritual it's moral death uh, death and it leads to okay. the concupiscence the moral weakening uh, that occurs within us that happened 60,000 years ago okay very good one last question before we get to our topic from the book Dear Father Spitzer, what resources would you recommend sharing with a young married man who thinks it's right to have a vasectomy to help be better fathers and husbands? Uh, this issue is affecting many young married couples. Camille, I guess maybe because they, 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 can, they don't think they can afford to have a lot of kids or they think they will, they'll be better off uh, fathering one or two children. Not sure. What do you think? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, well, I know that there are several resources out there. I've heard several commentators talk about them, but I didn't uh, actually memorize them uh, mm -hmm. when I heard them. Can I, I'm going to get back to you on a subsequent show, mm -hmm. and I'm going to get you a couple of good resources uh, to give to your um, friend there, uh, because, um, uh, you know, obviously, uh, just from, you know, my own a point of view, uh, you know, cutting off your f fertility, which is basically what you're doing 
uh, with a vasectomy is never going to help your relationship, um, you know, with your spouse uh, to begin with. And it's certainly, uh, you know, children actually do. Uh, you know, bring an incredible bonding uh, to marriage. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's children are so powerful. You know, people they don't you can't imagine. You know what a child does. Mm -hmm. How important it, that child is to the mother and mm -hmm. to the father both. How important it is for their life, for their dignity, for their sense of purpose, for their sense of fulfillment, for their sense of being. The child is so important mm -hmm. that there is a sense of you know emptiness and capacity for being if the child is somehow you know separated from the parents so that the the child is this huge bonding force within the marriage not something that pulls the marriage apart and, and there's a very you know good passage in a book by Soren Kierkegaard you know called works of love mm -hmm. where he's talking about narcissists uh, staring at himself in the pond you know in the water mm -hmm. and then he says you know if a couple just looks into each other's eyes incessantly and they have nothing to focus on beyond themselves nothing for that unity to bring it alive for the unity the love bond between the mother and the father to uh, or the the couple to go beyond uh, to the child and to uh, you know people even beyond the child uh, you know it it really severely weakens the notion it becomes almost a narcissistic love which can't the bond can't remain mm -hmm. always love requires some object uh, or subject outside of the self outside of the right. unity outside of the marriage to complete it to make it you know the gift right. of self the gift of the couple to the child and the child's redounding love back to them that's the strengthening force of the family to cut off the very possibility of that in a, a vasectomy uh, right. to me is just like cutting out the heart of marriage and, and cutting out the, the the best parts of marriage which mm -hmm. of course are children parenthood has its challenges Absolutely. but it also oh my gosh you know the strength the emotional bond the love the the, the character mm -hmm. of, of, of children and what they do within the marriage is is simply right. and we, uh, and we uh, in, see in, you know in so many in, cases estimable with people who bought into the lie that well we can do it any time or in the future and then they have trouble later mm -hmm. on or whatever where they finally yeah. have a child and they're like oh wow this was you know yeah. you know what was i thinking and but there's been so many lies about that yeah. kind of thing you know uh, about what's what's and really even without in your the life. child the re yeah exactly right. and even without the child you you feel that radical incompleteness uh, right. You know, people say, I, I, I'm just fine without the child. Ah, mm. yes, but it's that, it's, as I always say, you know, you, on the surface you do feel mm. just fine. But on the depths, you don't. There is a radical incompleteness in a, in a um, right. you know marriage without children, and that's why a lot of parents adopt right. uh, because right. they need that child. They, uh, you know, whether it's your child or or, or not, the adoption uh, does bring the child back right. into the focus of the family, and, and I think they really want that right. child, um, and that's why it's a pity. Uh, that abortion has eliminated Absolutely. adoption possibilities for so many Good young people. parents. Right.
Absolutely. I was also thinking about that that image. I mean, if you, you keep staring into somebody else's eyes, after a while you're just looking at your own reflection, right? I mean, that's really what you're doing. That's right. right. Uh, well, that's what Kierkegaard is trying Same, to say. Right, it becomes right. a narcissism and right. you fall into the... Right. Pool. You're not even staring at yeah. the other person anymore. You're just looking at yourself in, in, as a reflection. Yep. That's exactly it right. It, it takes the slow learners here yeah. a little longer to pick up on the, those images. You know. <laughs> so I, I have to, you know... No, thank goodness you uh, explicitized it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> thank you. So let's move on to the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church. You say, uh, what's the purpose of this volume? Uh, and, uh, you know, for mm -hmm. educators, obviously, for people, catechists, uh, rational defense of the major controversial mm -hmm. moral teachings on the basis of significant deleterious consequences to emotional health, individual identity, stability, marriage, family, culture, society, etc. Uh, then you go on to talk about uh, dealing with the culture's judgment that the Catholic Church's teachings in these areas are insensitive, outdated, or invalid. Let me ask you one question. I was going to ask you first, why did they become so sure. uh, controversial? But my question is, why are some of these things being considered insensitive, outdated, and invalid, not only just in the secular world, but actually inside the church in many places? Yeah, I think people bought the uh, uh, the package that came with the 1960s. Remember, it was not just the sexual revolution uh, that occurred in the 1960s. So that was a part of it, mm. and but it was tied up with the notion of complete autonomy. Mm. Uh, you know that in the um, universities, uh, you know the idea of an absolutized freedom from was preached as an ideal and and this notion of freedom even though people were just using the word freedom instead of freedom from mm -hmm. um, that's what it became and so this absolutizing of freedom from that is to say that the, I will be happier uh, I will be more myself the minute I free myself from commitments constraints responsibilities I should be able to just be me and get what I want and be what I am all the time without having any obligation beyond myself. Uh, you know, freedom is freedom from instead of freedom is freedom for. That presumes that persons are interpersonal. We need other human beings in order to be ourselves, even to have a complete self, in order to avoid uh, the emptiness of myself without you know the the self-sacrifice and the care and the gift of self for the other which of course gets the reciprocal uh, care and um, and gift of self from the other to me mm -hmm. uh, that's the way in which we are created we are radically uh, interpersonal we're radically I thou we are not radically I without a thou now that the 60s brought this uh, ontology, that, uh, this anthropology of of the self-sufficiency of the I. It, it goes back uh, for generations and generations to the individualism of atomism and science, uh, to the idea of autonomy uh, within you know Protestant judgment and mm -hmm. so forth and so on. Now all of these things are there, but it really comes to full root. Mm -hmm in the academic establishment of the 1960s where it was all about me 
It was all about self. Even the Marxists, like you know, Chris, uh, like Christopher Lash, were trying to say, "Hey, we're turning into a culture of narcissism here. Mm -hmm. This is no good." Philip Reef is screaming that the psychological and therapeutic community has betrayed us by appropriating the autonomy view of human personhood rather than the interpersonal view of mm -hmm. personhood. And he called it the triumph of the therapeutic. That now it's not just the the philosophy of the self-sufficiency. I shouldn't say the, the self, the sufficiency of the me, the sufficiency of the self, but feelings now are predominant mm -hmm. in measuring my sufficiency. It's not my morals, not my principles, not my actions, not my ideals, not my, uh, you know, loves and so forth that are the, the real me. It's my feelings that are the real me. And in the triumph of the therapeutic, Philip Reef just, you know, ceaselessly uh, goes after uh, the idea of these two equations. I am sufficient in myself and my feelings are sufficient unto me. And of course, the minute you begin, and now that's an oversimplification mm -hmm. of the position, but that's the way it came out. And when it came out, it combined up with the sexual revolution, right? And the idea of I should be able to get sex of any kind, anywhere with anybody who will have me, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and uh, now we've got the freedom to do it with birth control, et cetera. So now you then, you know, put these two things together and you have got truly, uh, you know, um, almost a juggernaut. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's impossible now uh, to stop this kind of momentum which rolls off the university floors in the rhetoric of great academicians uh, and suddenly uh, academicians mm -hmm. and so forth. And you get now a, um, you know, a, a real um, um, you know, problem of reversing the tide. And now where does the tide go? Through Carl Rogers, interestingly enough, mm -hmm. it found its way into many uh, women's religious uh, 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 orders uh, through um, a variety of other psychoanalytical paradigms. Mm -hmm. It found its way, too, into men's religious orders. Then it found its way through uh, the university establishment. So these Catholic universities and things, it kind of reversed back and, you know, flowed, you know, if you're going to be you know, kind of with the times, you got to have the ontology of the times. And the ontology of the times is the sufficiency of self, the mm -hmm. sufficiency of me, and the sufficiency of feelings to be the full expression of the me. Mm -hmm. and, and that includes my sexual expression as a very important and powerful feeling why I, I you know, my sexuality is, is a part of the whole me. Nay, nay, indeed, today, of course, it is me, right. you know. I am, you know, my sexual choice. Now you've got sex choice, yink, the two sides of the interacting poles are now brought together. My sexual choice is everything. And you can see, look at America, the real politic of America, right? I mean, it's going crazy. It, it wants, you know, to, to express itself and reduce the entire self.
to mm -hmm. the sexual choice of, of a person, the sexual feelings being gratified of a person. And that's really what life is all about. That's the purpose. Skip the spiritual life. Skip the fact that you have a transcendent soul. Skip the fact that you're in relationship with God. Skip the fact that you have a conscience and that conscience is bearing, you know, you, uh, you and, 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 and trying to imply to you uh, without forcing you uh, to, to adhere to its, its prescripts and postscripts. Skip the fact, you know, that you are your ideals, you are your actions, you are your moral principles, you are your spiritual choices, you are your relationship with God. No, 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 nay, nay, nay. All of those things of the past, just mere tradition, wave them off. Now we've got the point where we've got the true self, the sufficiency of self, the sufficiency of feelings, and the importance above all of sexual feelings and sexual choices as the expression of real autonomy and of freedom and of real, um, you know, feelings uh, as, as the autonomous expression of them. Sex now is the whole person. And what kind of sex I choose and what kinds of sexual feelings I get gratified. And if I don't get those, I'm radically incomplete. I'm just a nothing self. I don't have anything left of me without that. It's now elevated. It's everything is like backwards. It's upside mm -hmm. down. I mean, if the evil spirit wasn't behind it, I would have to think that there was some other evil genius behind it because it's so perfectly opposite of who we really are because our spiritual lives are now counted as mere shadows compared to sexual fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Our, you know, our uh, moral choices are mere nothings compared to our sexual fulfillment and, and so forth and so on. Everything's backwards. It's like black is white and white is black and right. we're all accepting it as lemmings. We kind of go for it and of course the power of the sexual drive to motivate it all. We've become the cultural, uh, not just cultural libidinalism, uh, you know, uh, we, 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 you know, we, we, we Become now, you know, almost a cultural narcissistic libidinalism that mm -hmm. has vested itself uh, completely uh, in the wave off of everything that used to be important because it is important. Mm -hmm. You still have a soul. You're still in relationship with God. You still have a conscience. You still have ideals that need to be fulfilled. You still can't just become a sexual creature. And if you if you if you don't see this mm -hmm. in, in grand. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, pictures within your mind that at least trust that the authorities in the past, like Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. had something to say that really made a difference to you. But if you can see it in your conscience, you're going to see Jesus Christ was right. If you can see it within that numinous experience as part of your being, you'll see that Jesus Christ was right. Mm -hmm. y you really do have a soul. You really do are destined for eternal life. Uh, you know, as and Augustine said, for thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Our conscience matters. And so at the end of the day, we, we just can't be our sexual feeling, our sexual drive. And yet, we just pour it on in this culture. We put on more and more pornographic things. Right. We put on, you know, I mean, the internet is full of it. It just, even if we try to get separated right. from it, it invades us and comes in to the point where you almost have to get the uh, you know, software to uh, get block you broken right, away right. from it, and so block it, and so right. forth. More and so, more bizarre. Uh, yeah, all the exactly. Time. And more and more yeah. bizarre.
Yeah, I don't know if we can survive as a culture, but I'm always an optimist. There and you go. I do think we can pull out of it if we could just get back to our church, to confession, to Holy Communion, if we could just get back to just common sense, right. honestly, and stop valuing you know, as, as an ultimate, what right. was never meant to be an ultimate, and to revalue the real Absolutely. ultimacies of the true, the good, and, and love in the sense of Christian, right. Christian love and uh, the beautiful. Right. So Unfortunately, anyway, that's as they say, common sense is not as common as it used to be. With that being said, if you can <laughs> give us your uh, right. blessing on the way out the door, Father, that would be great. Oh, very good and bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all consolation, above all, the, the Lord who has destined us for this grand transcendental destiny in truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home, may he invade you totally with his Holy Spirit and help you to see and help you to imagine what life could be in a society where we are part of that grand scheme of transcendence, moving into the kingdom of his love forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen, thank you, Father Spitzer. And uh, I actually will get to be with you very shortly, so look forward to seeing you. And of course, don't forget, Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, uh, and that's EWTNRC.com. And we'll continue answering questions of yours in next week's show. we got a special uh, question and answer program. And EWTN's bookmark, Adam and Eve After the Pill Revisited. Mary Everstadt, this is a wonderful, wonderful book. I think it's a good interview. If you don't want to watch the interview, still get the book. And uh, next week also, within uh, we'll be talking to Knights of Columbus, the 141st Supreme Convention, live from Orlando, Florida. Tuesday, beginning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. I'll warn you, I'm anchoring it, so know that going in. CEW10.com for events and showtimes in your area. Also, the major focus, World Youth Day from Lisbon, Portugal. Events begin with our special preview show on Tuesday, August 1st. I know Colm Flynn will be there. I know Father Mark will be there at 3 p.m. Eastern and continue all week long. CW10.com for events and showtimes in your area, as they say. And we will join you again in this area when we see you next time in Father Spitzer's universe. Be well.